The Talkin' Golf Network is proudly supported by the Golf Society. The Golf Society is founded on the belief that the latest golf trends, fashion and concepts shouldn't be compromised, but shared with every golfer. Shop online at www.thegolfsociety.com.au forward slash golf. Hello and welcome to episode 6 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, the show that goes where other golf podcasts fear to tread. I'm not sure that's actually true, I might have put that bit out. Uh, Rod Murray in control of the joystick as we duck and dive our way into another hopefully interesting discussion of all things good, which is code for all things golf. Speaking of all things golf, make sure to jump on the Talking Golf Network at TalkingGolf.com, just the one G in Talking Golf. Check out our range of other terrific golf podcasts, you find all sorts of great stuff there including our most recent edition, Nick O'Hearn, chatting about his excellent book, Tour Mentality. That's well worth a listen if you want to improve your golf. For more general and enjoyable golf discussion, check out the grumpy old men's state of the game or the more cerebral feed the ball and the course reports, of course, with Kurt Tyrrell. Now, on today's episode, and what I hear you ask, are the discussion topics listed on the behind-the-scenes Google Doc this week? Well, it continues to grow, and among the juicy potential talking points... Millennials, what do they want from golf? Ladies tees, is there a place for them? Or more importantly, the language around them? Did Lynx Magazine snub nine-hole golf in a recent story? And if they did, are they entitled to do so if they so choose? Groupthink in golf course architecture, is it real? Is it bad? Is it just a fad? That was an accidental rhyme there, but a good one, I think you'll agree. All that plus, don't shake your head at me, Logue. All that plus lots more when we get underway, which we'll do in just a tick, but first, an apology. I made a rookie error last week. I announced that we'd have Phil Blackmar on this week's episode to chat about a blog post he wrote, which stirred up some chatter. But of course, Phil's in Japan at the moment covering the PGA Tour event. And with all the rain early in the week, it's going to be a Monday finish. So we just couldn't make the times work. At the risk of making a rookie error twice, which would be really stupid, we are aiming to have Phil on next week, but I'm not making any promises. Just in case. For the moment, though, forget who's not here and let's focus on who is. Sitting across from me, minus the beanie and scarf for the first time in a while, I think, is resident path expert and keeper of the Twitter GCA influencers list, Adrian Logue. Adrian, good to have you along. When will we see the next iteration of that controversial list? I'm not sure I'm going to do another <laughs> version of that. Um, I've, I've enjoyed doing it, and it's been a really useful exercise, but um, it, it's just uh, – I'm done with it. I'm, I'm kind of done with that, that list Is the run the numbers, I've jumped ahead of you in the Twitter influencers list, and nope. therefore it needs to be nope. killed off? Is that what's really happened? <laughs> nope, no truth to that <laughs> at all. I'd love to see the back – I've still got these algorithms, though, so if anybody wants me to rank, a, like, a bunch of Twitter accounts... Against each other. Yeah, so I can, you can give me a bunch of Twitter accounts, so like you know thousands morning, if you like, and you know I can rank them radio for you. have those, you know, who would win in a fight between an axolotl and a lion, that kind of... We could have that kind of thing, yep. but with Twitter lists for you. People could send in what they want to exactly. see going head-to-head. Okay, yep. good. We might start that. How many axolotls have to take well, on a Well, I don't think it was ever established. I just heard it once on Breakfast Radio, and there was a lot of opinion, but I don't think anybody... Is it a lion-sized axolotl? I don't even know what an axolotl is. I'll be completely honest. What do they look like? You brought sort it up. Of the, those amphibian things that crawled out of the water and wasn't that they us? can breathe air. Humans? They look a lot like, <laughs> lot like early <laughs> like us. us. I think that's- uh, we're off the track. From the Talking Golf Georgia studios in the US, it's Feed the Ball host Derek Duncan, back from his one-week hiatus, pushing for a spot in the starting lineup. Derek, big shoes to fill after Matt Mollica's impressive debut last week. Are you nervous? 
Uh, well, I'm just happy to be back. I didn't want to lose my uh, permanent position uh, to the Lou Gehrig of now. That's a baseball reference, guys. Uh, Lou Gehrig of podcasting. And um, But I'm back. I'm happy to be back. I've uh, just freshly washed pumpkin off my hand. Today was the uh, jack-o'-lantern carving oh, day in the Duncan cool. household. Mm. And uh, now I, I'd like to share a, a quick beer review. I'm drinking today a, a Drake's Denogonizer, which is a double IPA from uh, California. Uh, beautiful beer i just didn't want to li- nice. leave anybody out that's what i'm i'm jamming on right now it's quite nice uh cool. some, some tasting notes is, is this going to be a regular eagle, segment yeah, yeah yeah it may it may be it may be the the good good beer is of it the very week. fruit um, forward and like what are you getting notes of of citrus and <laughs> no a little bit of a little bit of orange peel um okay uh piney notes kind of sticky big mouth feel a lot of malt, like I said, it's so it's the opposite of these um, awful IPAs that are you know that feature you know, pineapple and mango um, and other things, like blood yeah. orange, which is just disgusting. So this is nice old school <laughs> double IPA, nine point seven five ABV. So uh, if I'm wow. kind of slurring nice. by the end of the podcast, Can we that just will back be up a bit because I don't understand it. What's an IPA? So what's a double IPA? Oh my goodness! Oh boy, India Pale. <laughs> Uh, the uh, the empire they uh, they probably were, were uh, barrels of it uh, in the founding of your country that the British brought over uh, they would barrel it and and drink it out at sea so that's what IPA stands for India Pale Ale the India East or the East right. India Company so double uh, that's the name goes back to that double IPA means it's even stronger than the single version anybody knows wokes become the um, the slur of choice these days. For, for a certain bunch of guys, yeah. they tell you you're yeah. woke, and that uh, that's some sort of an insult. Well, that'll be fantastic. Uh, we Halloween, we don't do Halloween so much here in Australia. Though. You probably do with kids, don't you, Adrian? The kids get into it now. My kids there's aren't a, into it. There's a generation that yeah, is into mercifully. It. In the trick or treat thing, my son's like trick is that he can burp like really he loudly. Must be so proud. So that's <laughs> the sort of thing that just makes <laughs> us a, a blush with honour. Uh, outstanding. All that money on private schools and that's what you get. Good stuff. Uh, now, just before we briefly mention our sponsor, thegolfsociety.com.au slash golf. That's thegolfsociety.com.au slash golf. Um, 1G, 1G talking talk golf. Could be talking, could be talking off. off. In fact, I've had many people call it talking off, off which is interesting and stupid. And those people don't deserve a place at the talking golf table. Uh, is Tiger going to make it win number 82 today, Jensen? Genuine, genuinely interesting golf chat. Adrian, is he going to get there? I know that podcast is supposed to be timeless and this very much dates it. He'll be teeing off fairly shortly. I, th- I think shortly. so. Um, look, uh, I think so. He's playing very well. There's every chance. Derek? What do you think, Derek? Yeah, I, mean, he, what he's, yeah, I think he's up by two and he's got seven holes three left. Up. He's three up. Or, three up. Mm. Yeah, he'll be fine. It's good to talk about because we don't know how many more times this opportunity to talk about Tiger Woods winning a tournament will come up again. So I think we mm. should all embrace it and, and watch it. It'll. And we're about two hours out from show, show from uh, yeah. when it comes on air. So good timing for this podcast. And um, yeah, it's it's no it's news and it's noteworthy and two it's historic. About it that are great. One, he looks like Tiger of twenty years ago. The way he's he's playing so freely, he's just playing golf. There's just no golf swinging it. Two. I think we can be pretty certain that we're going to be watching him actually play at the President's Cup, Adrian, which for everybody in Australia, from, from every angle, from the purest golf angle, it, it is fantastic. And from a commercial angle, it's fan- in every way, that is fantastic news. It's fantastic. it's fantastic. And it'll be interesting to see how he handles being a playing mm-hmm. captain. Um, it's happened once before. Hale Irwin. Yeah. So that'll be interesting in the new era where, you know, he'll have, he'll be mic'd up or something. <laughs> I don't know. But, <laughs> <laughs> 
it'll be <laughs> it'll be interesting yeah, to the logistics see of it actually will be how that yeah, works yeah. out. Yeah, because the President's Cup has quite a short little window in which you've got to yeah, that's right. Between when you finish your, your teams for the so where does he put himself and, yeah. in the field? He probably can't go out last. Exactly. Yeah, no, that will all be exactly. And how he manages his energy levels, yeah. I think, is going to be yeah, really yeah. important because this win this week, or when this inevitable win this week, I think is all about him managing his energy levels and he can't really be up for it every week. I think that's what we've found over the last 12 months or so. He needs to have this ridiculous preparation before each round. That could throw him well, a little bit today. No, I don't think it's the done deal that we all assume it is because Tiger's not a yep. 25-year-old Tiger anymore. He is 43-year-old Tiger. That's Into right. a fifth day. It was a long day yesterday. They played you know, 28 And holes, it's all bash golf because it's wet, so you've got to carry it. It's all yep. hard swings. And, yeah, it's not as yep. – but, but the knee looks fantastic, and he is looking terrific. He looks fit. He's moving yeah. really well. It, He's swinging well. He's he's so yeah. zoned in, and uh, he's putting. Most amazing, important, so. Most we get important. to see Derek, assuming he plays the Presidents Cup. We get to see Tiger Woods playing Royal Melbourne. Now, when he was down here for the just before all the scandal happened in two thousand and nine, he won at Kingston Heath. I've always thought of it. Watching that week was like watching the world's greatest violin player find the world's best violin. It was a beautiful comedy to, to watch mm. somebody like Woods play a golf course like Royal Melbourne. All the equipment, everything will, will change things, but it will still be a beautiful thing to watch, Derek. Greatness meets greatness, yeah. I agree. Um, I, that's definitely must-see must TV and um, a, a great way to, to close out the year and kind of get the viewing public <laughs> through the holidays into the, the new uh, January season. Uh, what a spectacle that'll be, you know, Tiger and, and everybody else at Royal Melbourne. I hope the golf course, uh, you know, is, plays plays bouncy and hard. Uh, it's that's the greatest kind of golf to watch, and you have to like Tiger's ability to think his way around a golf course if the, yeah, those Mike, are the conditions. Mike Clayton reckons that he played with a member there a couple of months ago who told him it had been eight years since he took his divot repair out of his pocket and made a pitch mark oh, on a yes. green yes. for yeah. eight yeah. years. That, that, that's the member's play. So I remember at the 2014, 2015 Australian Women's Open, walking across one of the spare greens with Clayton. He got a ball and he said, listen to this, and he's throwing it on the green. It's like concrete. You can't stop a golf ball on this. That was just unbelievable. And that was just a, a, one of the spare greens. It wasn't one of the ones they were playing. Uh, that'll be fantastic to watch. Best of luck today, Toker. Yeah, the downside of that is is uh, you may get a situation where you, hardly anybody's hitting driver. And maybe that's not a downside. Maybe that's a mm. maybe that's a positive. But I think you, you know if it's that racy, you're just going to see a lot of irons off the tees and balls rolling around the ground like you do at the uh, the open when it's really hard, which which could be make for some interesting golf. But um, it'll be a real decision if guys want to you know challenge those angles and those corners and those those diagonals with with driver. That's be something uh, kind of a subplot uh, to and the play that week. Match play and four balls and all that. It really does give you the opportunity to see some extraordinarily exciting golf. Guys will be going for shots that you might not otherwise see them take on, which weren't thinkable 25 years ago, but now they are, and suddenly they were knocking it on. Well, three west was the first hole for the President's Cup last time. I've got no idea what the rating is this time. I watched Adam Scott drive it in the left bunker there off the tee. Yeah, it's an interesting way to take care of the mm-hmm. difficulty of that approach is just to drive the green. <laughs> no, no. Well, I don't think the left green side bunker was the place to be, if I recall, because it was all downhill yeah. and running away. So it turned out that that wasn't necessarily a great strategy. But it'll be great to watch. Enough of that, all of that. We'll come to the President's Cup uh, shortly. Now, here's a smooth segue, if ever there was one, Adrian. If Tiger Woods does win today, he'll do it wearing what? Nike. Where can you buy okay. Nike in Australia? Oh, yeah, right. Our sponsor, the Now, here's something that is quite serious. This ties into a topic that you had on the list today, Derek. 
this thread you found on Twitter about millennials and golf. We'll come to some of the things that were in the Twitter thread there, but am I right in thinking I'm a different generation to you two blokes? Is this one area where millennials, particularly blokes, golfers, are different? Are they more interested in clothing and brands and labels and how they look well, certainly than I am, there's no question about that, but my generation, or is it the case that there's been people in every generation who are interested in that stuff, but maybe there's more of them? In, I feel like younger blokes are much more interested in how they look. I was on the website this morning, the Golf Society, having a look around, and it's, I'm not sure I'm the, tar- <laughs> I'm not sure I'm the target market. Is there anything in that, millennials and fashion, Adrian, apart from the online retail experience? Uh, I, think uh, I think there's, they can walk and chew gum at the same time like they, they want to play good golf but they also want to mm. look good doing it and they put a little bit of extra effort into are they different to presenting is themselves well for the golf course i think it's part of the it's like putting on a costume for an outing in in some sense like I, even at public courses you see it quite a lot where um uh, i was out at uh, ramwick golf club here in sydney recently and you get a lot of groups of uni mm-hmm. students going out for games of golf at places like that and they really dress up. They've spent a lot of money on mm-hmm. the way they present themselves and their golf clubs and their whole kit, and it's big yeah. outing for them. And I think they like to sort of get into costume for that. It's outing. A part of the theatre, Adri- uh, Derek, for this generation more than previous. Uh, uh, you know, if if they do like to uh, wear nice golf shirts, based on the feedback from this Twitter thread, is they don't like to tuck them in. <laughs> that was a comment that came up several times. Or, is that they, they hated to be or have to, to go into the pro in. shop. I think it, <laughs> before heading to the first tee, that was the other one that stuck out to me. That, and why do I have to talk to people to play golf? Uh, anyway, sorry, you're yeah. making a point there. No, just just that I th- I think like many things in golf, it's related to your skill. I think the better player you are as a millennial or uh, someone you know who's not a millennial, who's who's Generation X or baby boomer, you kind of if you're a good player, you kind of adopt that golf look. You know, you you see a lot of. A lot of pretty good players around, younger players who who dress like PGA Tour pros, and they've got the slacks and the white belt, or you know those. What is that fabric that they make those golf shorts out of? It's it's kind of disgusting, um, just kind of stretchy stuff. But it's so that, it's a part of the golf uniform. That Rod cherishes so yeah, much. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. Not that you shouldn't uh, look into buying those if that's your thing on golfsociety.com.au. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> but I think I think the I think the better players definitely try to em- look a, l- a little nicer and, and emulate the. The, the pros that they see on television. I'm trying to think. Well, certainly Arnold Palmer always looked fantastic, didn't he? And amazing. Ben Hogan always looked very dapper. I wonder if there's a Benetton. Maybe not. Maybe golf pros have always looked particularly good. I wonder whether it's different further down. I'm not sure. Tough to go. Now, onto that millennial thread. Did you have a look at that millennial thread, Adrian? No. <laughs> you sit this one out, Derek. Derek and I will have Derek. a chat. Uh, it really was an interesting uh, it really idea. Was so it started with this, Derek. Question for the millennials, born 1980 to 2000. I'm not sure that's quite right. Is that quite right, Adrian? Right? You know, when the millennial, I, I think it finishes before 2000. I, I, sorry, I did see this thread and it lost all credibility with me. Right there. With that time frame. Because I, and I looked through the thread and I was really just looking for people who were trying to dispute that time frame. There was frame one. Because I'm, I have no I confidence in that. I don't know when the millennials. But anyway, I think the point generally, or more broadly is, and we hear the industry bang on about this, don't we, Derek? We've got to get millennials interested in golf. Uh, some industry people talk about golf adapting to appeal to millennials. Are there changes you want to see in the game? If so, what? Obviously, I have a skewed sample here, but I'm still curious. I don't know. Plugged in golf. What's his skewed sample? Maybe he's young. What do you think, Derek? There was some interesting stuff in there, wasn't there? There was. I'm, I'm uh, unequivocally against the game doing anything to cater to the millennials or any other group. I think that's a death sentence. Um, I wrote about that in... Uh, 
last spring for don't grow the game, mm-hmm. preserve the game. And I kind of, I got a little backlash because I did point out millennials and the, the tendency for the golf bodies to want to try to capture that demographic and, and changing things uh, or kind of creating programs or, or alternative versions of golf to, to try to cater to that. So I, I hate that idea that golf needs to do anything to attract a certain demographic. That said, there are some, some pretty good things that, that golf could adapt based on the feedback. And, and you mentioned it a minute ago, but this idea that uh, you have to go into the pro shop to pay, that seems more just not really aimed at millennials. That's just kind of modern, mm-hmm. the modern world uh, seeping into golf the way it should. Like when you go, if you want to go to the movies, you can stand in line and buy a ticket there. But a lot of people will go on their phones or their computer at home and buy their ticket and then show up with you know, and just scan their phone or punch up the tickets out of a little kiosk when they get to the theater. And golf could be the same ways. You know, you could reserve a tee time on your phone, pay for it, show up, scan your phone at the first tee when your time comes up and, and get off and go. And that's, that seems to me like a, a pretty good idea. Uh, uh, pay by the whole is another interesting idea. Um, when I had, uh, a guest on my podcast, David Marcuselli, who works for the Nicholas company, he's a shaper. Um, we talked about this. He's, he was trying to, get a, a community golf project up off the ground in Connecticut where, where his hometown is. And we, we were bandied these ideas about a little bit about like, well, how can you use technology and just the conveniences of, of modern life and apply it to golf and, and just make the whole golf experience a little more streamlined, a little quicker, a little easier. And so, so I, if you want to give millennials credit for coming up with some of these ideas, go for it. Golf shouldn't change its fundamental self, but this is more just kind of getting in and out mm. of, of the game and speeding things up. And I see that to, I see a real it's benefit a to that. We, we had, uh, I can't remember his name now. I remember the guy from e, Eagle Pay, which is the Pay, Eagle Pay. which is a yeah. really interesting idea, wasn't it, on the ISEC podcast? I think they're still doing okay. It hasn't really exploded, but they're, Where's they're the resistance? Along. Is it amongst the golfers or amongst the clubs or the courses, the facilities? It sounds very complicated. <laughs> Do you think? I think that's think? the Isn't issue. It just with an it. app. Yeah, you dial up an app. You book the an hour. Was it pay by the hole? Six holes or a time? I can't remember. Was it six yeah, holes or a time? That's right. And well, it, you don't actually pay. You just walk out and on it the golf course, course and, you pay and, and it tracks and, and takes and the and money. You pay, yeah, you pay retrospectively. The concept sounds yeah, good. It's concept, a lot yeah. more like Uber. Yeah, it, they really couldn't make it any easier. And it and it's got it had quite good tools for the pro shop as well, from what I recall, where you know it showed yep. where people are on the course and you could mm. get a sense of you know how fast they were playing or you know they couldn't they couldn't cheat the system either. You can't just play the same mm-hmm. hole twenty times or something. Uh, but yeah, for whatever reason, I think people still don't view it as proper. Derek's golf. point about going to the movies and lining up, which I think we'd all agree that's barbaric. Nobody's going to do that in the modern world, are they? Golf hasn't been great at adapting technologies in that way, has it? for the consumer experience it's got nothing to do with the game of golf itself and all the other things that we like to talk about but just the simple act of getting to the golf course and playing we've done a terrible job haven't we in golf yeah and the scoring of golf for example like it's only just been introduced to the rules of golf in 2019 that you can have digital scores oh the whole idea of a uh, card and a pencil yeah yeah that uh, scores don't have to be submitted uh-huh. on a card with you know a written uh, signature, so uh, for, to be a stipulated round, so that that's just changed as well. Golf is adapting, but very slowly. Is it is it that important well, no, though? This is how important, but it comes back to something we're going to talk about again. Another topic we'll talk about shortly about ladies' tees and the language around that, and a discussion that we had on Twitter about that. It it's problem number five hundred and forty two, but it's such an easy one to fix. Wouldn't you just fix it, and then you could move on to the bigger problems? <laughs> that's kind of how I view it. 
Yeah, get that sorted, one for sure. and, and and then you can think about yep. uh, bigger stuff. What else was in there that was interesting? There was only one person who went for the uh, fairway divot. I should get a drop out of the divot, which I thought was interesting, <laughs> Derek. And there was a little bit there of pylon into yeah. that. <laughs> there was about yep. that. I didn't think there was anything really groundbreaking amongst the thing, but it was interesting to see a bunch of people obviously identify as millennials get in there and have their say as much as anything. Did you think so? I just think the the overall message seemed to be, you know, let's. It, it's hard to maybe maybe for millennials, it's it's really tough to justify, you know, spending four or five uh-huh. hours on anything. Much, you know, and then golf is expensive on top of that. So I think the thrust of it was, you know, give yeah. us more options, give us uh, the ability to get in and out quicker, uh, give us the ability to only play, you know, x amount of holes. Um, don't make me go here. Uh, just just make the consumer yeah. experience more streamlined and and efficient. And uh, we'll show up more. And you know, th- those are good, sure. those are good points. We all struggle with the idea of of golf being expensive and taking too long to play. And the, I think golf will get there. I think golf is going to get to a point when they realize that that's probably, the, in my opinion, I think that's the thing that's holding golf back from being a more popular sport in 2019 is just the time that it takes to play. So any any method that you can adopt that's going to chip away at, at some of that time or, or give you more flexibility in the way you your consumption of, of golf uh, is is going to be the way forward mm-hmm. to, in the future it, it's got to be um, and it's true like people there are a lot of people who don't like going into clubhouse you know go, going into the pro shop to, to pay and, and I think there are some real service issues related to golf and um, from the from the pro shop to the staffing to the starter on the first tee, I mean all that. A lot of that, I, I can see how that doesn't really make a lot of sense uh, to people who are entering the game new. Uh, it, they're relics, holdovers of the past, and I can see that that it might that might be a good place to a good thing to reexamine that golf could really take a hard look at going forward is is clean up some of those service issues as well. We don't think about this stuff a lot of the time. I think Adrian do. He has. As long-term golfers, you're just kind of used to it, so you never give it another thought. That's just the way it is and the way it's always been. So you never give a thought to – it's it's good to get some people coming with a fresh idea and say, well, why don't you do it this way? It's like, actually, that makes a whole lot of sense. Why don't we do it that way? Uh, I think your uh, pace of play was a very big one. That uh, as you, it, it, Common complaint in that thread was pace of play. Five and six-hour rounds take too long. Why can't I just play five or six holes? Why do I have to play nine or 18? I think all of those things are – they will generationally disappear. There's – there's how long you're at the golf yeah. facility and there's nothing wrong with being at the golf course for six no. or seven hours even. Um, it, it's just being waiting for golf shots and playing mm. a very slow round of golf, I think, can be the thing. That, that's the distinction I always like yeah. to put on that complaint is we you actually want people to be around the golf course it's a luxury. for six yeah. or seven hours I, if you I, want. I that's for sure, so... Yeah. It's an what was interesting, um, but what was interesting, being on the course for five of those hours, nobody no complained the game was too hard, did they, Eric? Oh, Derek, Eric, what am I talking about, Derek? No one said the game was too hard, which is oh, a I constant. I don't, complaint. No, I don't recall seeing that. No, I don't think so. There's a reason why people don't play because it's too hard. So um, I'm not sure that that one holds so much water. Yeah, I'm not sure that that's a, a, a good reason. You know, a lot of the, a lot of the, it, it is going to take maybe another decade or so. It's going to take a generational turnover to get golf to where you know it, it pleases the the millennial because like i said a lot of these views are entrenched like for instance going back to the pro shop you know it used to be that that's where uh, club pros made a lot of their money a significant portion of, of their salary came out of sales mm-hmm. in the pro shop and you know whether it was clubs or shirts or hats or balls so it's it's going to 
it's hard to break that that kind of mentality and and that is used as a as a source of compensation for it still is i think in a lot of places uh to to pay your staff and to take that away and and to not have a pro shop and to just be completely automated and just just have a a guy on the first tee with a phone that he can scan your your phone with or just a little kiosk or something you know you're going to have to restructure Mm -hmm. the whole the way that 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 golf courses are staffed and, and the compensation and the payment. So, so there's some kinks to be worked out, but I think they will because that stuff just doesn't, doesn't make well, a lot of sense anymore. Demand drives markets, doesn't it? Not supply. <laughs> if that's what the demand is for, then yep. eventually that's what will happen. So we better get for it. A lot of courses in Denmark just have a big vending machine. It, it issues you a card. You can actually get a glove or a sleeve of balls out yeah. of it. it there's a lot to learn from. Sneakers or golfing? They're these big machines, but uh, they're pretty impressive. I'm not sure. Like it is big enough that you could actually have a person <laughs> in there who's just dispensing <laughs> stuff. I'm not convinced that's not what's happening because they're pretty big machines. But uh, it's yeah. it's impressive. You just turn up, and it's out of necessity because a lot of the times the pro shop is a different business, and they're they're there for they're not really affiliated with the club. They're just sharing the facility and the club you know, every, needs people to play. Every time you talk so. about golf in Denmark, I'm more and more intrigued. It sounds it like, well, it just sounds like such a different kind of a golf experience from all levels, from what's being provided to who's being doing the consuming and how they're doing it. There's, there's some stuff to learn, I would think. Uh, let's switch gears. Adrian, first things first, can you read out a couple of reviews that we got this week? Certainly. Will you mention, just, uh, spe- I suppose you'll mention specifically in some of them or you wouldn't read them out, would you? Yeah, I'll, I'll filter it through <laughs> that lens. <laughs> Um, Oz, just cover your ears for a moment, please, Derek. Oz Trader <laughs> has left a review that says that it's titled "Always." I'm not quite don't sure. Know. I don't what he's know. Getting Oztrader. at there. I, I may know Oz Trader, but I don't know them as Oz Trader. So, yeah, uh, we don't know no. his secret identity. Is it you? Uh, <laughs> no. <laughs> it's five stars. Love your work, Rod and Adrian. Sorry. Full stop. Derek. Mm. Uh, well researched and presented. Is my is my voice actually so, on the <laughs> podcast in Australia? It's, it's a bit like the, the dog thing. Some ears don't pick up the pitch of the American accent down here. Can you yeah, hear that's me? Exactly right. Out yeah. there, Australia. Yeah. Let me hear you. So thanks very much for that uh, review, there, Oz Trader, and Party Panther, whose secret identity uh-huh. I do know, but I'm not going Good. to reveal. Uh, titled his review: Nineteenth Hole Conversation, five stars. Like an insightful post-round conversation, looking to forecast the biggest issues in the game and toiling to solve first-world problems. That's us. He's nailed us. There's, there's sort of a little yeah, so insult. Add, adding absolutely nothing to the world, but being entertaining yeah, while yeah, they exactly. do it. <laughs> exactly. Good on them. Thank you very much for that. In fairness, Derek, we know you're popular down here because you revealed so during the week, didn't you? Many of your followers are from Australia. Did you say that's something interesting, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I I think I need to to move to to Sydney yeah, or Melbourne. It seems yeah. I just have a a lot of the the people that I you know you can trace, and I just have a lot of Australian people who follow me. I don't, I'm not being well received in my Podcast own country. Listeners, do you mean or Twitter and Facebook and those things? Mostly, okay. mostly yeah, interesting. I think they're probably one and the same, though. You would think, yeah. I think there's a big crossover between the two. All right, where are we going next, Adrian? It's your choice of what topic we're going to tackle. Well, I'd love to talk about yeah. Derek's article. Everybody else has, so we might as well. Indeed. Derek uh, put together a monumental work. Uh, how long have you been working on that, Derek? Oh, if you must know, um, <laughs> I I started writing that probably at the beginning of the year, just yep. kind of messing around with it. I, I, I will want to point out, I'm going to cite this, uh, I, I link to it in the story, um, the um, 
architect from Ireland, Ken Carney, wrote a piece. Mm-hmm. Right now, I was kind of like almost this. getting to the closing point in mind, and it was just it was called mm-hmm. "Shrink the Game," and and I would just thought, and I said this to him. I said, "That's better than I could put it. Just read this." And so I, I sat on mine for a little while. And, yeah, I mean, Ken uh, published his on a PDF. I it was think, a, didn't you? It was quite <laughs> a website. It was, it was it was a good piece of writing. Yeah, and very succinct. Um, your piece, Derek, is a lot longer. Uh, but along the same lines, and it really extends the thought, and I, I see it as a companion piece to a, another article you wrote uh, mm-hmm. about shrinking Preser- the game. Was it preserve the game? Yeah. Or preserving the game, yeah. And right. uh, this, I think, is a wonderful companion piece to that. I, I'm looking forward to seeing what the trilogy <laughs> of these articles is going to be. You better get cracking, Derek. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, but this is titled The Game is All Right, and uh, I think it, it's hitting on a similar theme, um, if I could summarise it. But I'll get you to talk about it at length. But if it, to me, the what comes across is that the point you're making is golf had this unsustainable growth uh, from late 1990s through to 2010, uh, which is uh, un, you don't make this connection, but obviously it's the Tiger era, and now the that's the benchmark against which all success is measured, and therefore the conclusion is that we must now be in a recession for golf. When in fact, we've just returned to the core uh, core numbers that are sticking with the game, and will probably always stick with the game. Yeah, and I, I was my, I was hoping to just kind of package this this look of look on golf in a different light, and just kind of reframe the argument if I if I if I was able to, and 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 do just what you said, and say we're we're at the same levels of participation we were in the late nineties. So golf isn't isn't growing, but it's not if you think that it's it's failing it's it's relative it's it's based on uh, maybe some faulty assumptions about how many players we should have and looking it's like if this if the the stock market uh was at 20,000 and it was, everybody knew that that it you know the index was at 20,000 and it, everybody knew that that it was inflated and overhyped and it was a huge bubble and then it came back to a more manageable realistic level you shouldn't talk about it like we're you know that that's a that's a negative you know golf is it a help there's a healthy number of of participants in golf and we're probably about there right now and maybe even we need to retract a little bit more to to, to strengthen that that core essence of, of who plays and what we can expect them to contribute and make the enjoyment of, of the game richer for everybody who, who plays it instead of you know going back to the millennial topic you know there's a there's a certain level of dissatisfaction about the way a lot of us play golf the experience on the golf course and that needs to be fixed if we ever want golf to to in fact grow or an appeal to other people so by doing that we need to to trim away a lot of the excess fat and look at it through a different lens than we have and I, I tie that that lens to to the business world and the reason why this message of we need to grow the game and and whether it, you know golf is, is hemorrhaging players a lot of that is viewed through uh golf business and, and the golf industry who's whose focus and and their their primary motive is to profit off of golf so this is what the story is about. I try, I try to package all that in there and, and really say, you know, try to make the case that, you know, golf isn't necessarily in a recession right now. It's not losing players at the pace that we've been led to believe because those players weren't committed in the first place probably. It's a common problem it's we have with the game is that we mix up golf the game and golf the business. And as I think you said, it's offensive. Golf is a sport, not a business. They are separate things. That's one of the lines that really sort of – resonated with me from what you do and that's true there's nothing wrong with the notion of trying to grow the game that's okay 
But we put the cart before the horse, I think, Adrian, is what happens. And we say, right, we're in the business of golf. We need to profit from golf. How do we grow the game for profit as opposed to how do we share the game with more people who might get the joy out of it that many of us do? Golf is just as compelling today as it has been for 500 years. What you need to do is expose more people to it. And I imagine there's a very simple mathematical formula. For every 100 people that you expose to golf, and I don't don't know what the exact numbers are, 10 will think it's fantastic and become lifelong golfers. 40 will go, it's okay, and they'll play once or twice a year for the rest of their lives. 30 will say it's a disgusting game and should be wiped off the face of the earth, and that's kind of how it will break down in every generation. So what we need to do is just expose more people to the game. I agree. And how do you get more people through the gate? Uh, it, it's this, it gets into this thing of golf courses don't need to be behind mm-hmm. fences. Uh, then once you're in there... You know what can be simplified about the place to make it more accessible. Uh, in Australia, you have to really be a member of a golf course to to get a game of golf. It, it's just the way it works. And so, what can you do to reduce the costs of membership? And and I, that's where you've got a lot of this simplification stuff. I think that Derek's driving at, uh, where you know you could have just just simplify everything about golf. This will probably resonate with Australian golfers more than overseas, but. You know, we could have less forms of play. Just just play Stableford for all these comps. Don't have all these exotic competition types. It's certainly what the players would seem to want. I know at my own home club, par events, yep. there's always a whole lot less people turn up. And a oh, bit of grumbling. Bid. And and then and then you get these you get special events and there's always all sorts of exotic four ball formats and things like that, which clubs I think just feel compelled to put intent, on their, isn't it? Try their to keep calendar. the game interesting rather than play the same format over and over and over again. Perhaps. I don't know. I I think you could just simplify everything. You could simplify timesheets. You have less restrictions. You know, start – everybody can just book anywhere on a timesheet if you're a member of a club. Have less membership levels where you've got, you know, five-day memberships and six-day memberships. And all of those are attempts to solve the same problem, to try and squeeze every last dollar out of what golfing public there is. But why not just reduce the membership fees for everybody and then have no restrictions across – Timesheets. Everybody's at the same level. You're all members there of the club. There are people clubs. literally choking on food and drink at the moment as they listen to you <laughs> say this, Adrian. There are people in the golf business who are screaming at their phone or device. Well, the, the result would just the result of simplifying everything would mean you're spending less money on super complex software. And, and this is something I know something about. Um, you also don't need the super complex software to run incredibly complex competition formats. Uh, if you just simplify everything, the club will save money and it can find ways to pass that saving on to the members. These are way harder ways, though, of achieving these outcomes, trying to think in these terms of simplifying everything. It's, it's, a much, it's much more difficult than just thinking to yourself, no, no, we'll roll the dice on putting a, a function centre in and try and attract weddings but, or something uh, like that. You take out a large line to do it. Derek, is, is Adrian... A bit like Homer Simpson's reaction to Lisa Simpson's notion that bacon and ham and pork all came from the same animal. Is Adrian is Adrian <laughs> talking about some mythical super beast that has all of these wonderful <laughs> things? Is it possible what he's talking about? Well, if Adrian said it, it's definitely possible. Anything's possible in his, uh, when it comes out of that mind. I, I, yeah, I, but he's onto something. It's it's really about getting 
I, I don't know. I just keep it, golf. Golf can be too complicated. It, it makes it complicated for itself. Um, I, I just feel like maybe this is the theme for the show: is is streamlining, uh-huh. simplification, paring things down, making things more efficient. Um, it goes back to business, you know, like you've got companies that go to golf courses, want to sell them, upsell them on everything. And, and it's just a big, a vicious cycle. Yeah. Um, golf's a sport. Like I said, you know, it's just, it's the, it's about, and as you said, Rod, it's like you get people on the golf course. That's the key. And when they get on the golf course, they have to have a, a good experience. They can't have a, a five hour round. They can't, they can't, um, you know, be thinking about some bad interaction they had in the in the pro shop with an assistant pro it's it's put a club in there get them on the golf course get a uh, a club in their hands let them feel the sensation of hitting a flush shot let them see let them post a better score than they did the last time they played let the first time they make a bogey that golf is really simple if you all efforts should be toward enhancing that element of the game, getting them on the course and present and letting, let them experience the game that we all let, fell in love with. Um, so I don't know if I even had touched what Adrian was talking let, about. Let golf sell that's, itself? That, Is that the message? That's what it comes let down to. Let golf sell itself. It's capable of selling itself. We've just got to let it rather than mucking it up with all of our that's stuff it. that we add to it. That's it. And there's a lot of obstacles to achieving that at all levels of the game as well, Derek. You, you know, that, that beginning golfer or the hundred golfers that, that Rod wants to expose the game to, that is going to be 100 people who think that they have to buy a big uh-huh. set of golf clubs. A range finder. They need to buy a range, buy a range finder. They need to buy yeah. all the equipment. Yeah. Yep. And all of that is obstacles to getting out on the golf course. They think it's a big production when in reality they could have a go- that golf experience that you just described about flushing a ball for the first time, making a bogey, the thing that hooks you in, that the 10 out of the 100 people are going to actually get hooked on you can get that experience just by carrying a few clubs around and walking um and just throwing a ball on the ground here and there um which is it, it, it taking it to the other extreme but that's a starting point but isn't it we can't, we seem to miss it's that. We a starting sell, point we want to sell people straight up out of the gate the full golf package you want to try golf which is three thousand yeah. bucks or something these days i know and, and that's where it feeds mm. into derek's article again where Nothing's ever going to satisfy these big no. corporations that have come in and are looking to sort of feast on golf and grow the game and uh, return it to the levels that are deemed to have been successful. What happens once they return it to those levels? That desire to grow it, to get to those levels, isn't going to go away. It's it, it's by definition, it just continues on. So they're going to continue to to look for ways where you know this isn't satisfactory we need more growth next year and more growth the year after and so you, you end up with so much paraphernalia around golf not that, to mention the amount of money spent uh, on marketing those things to the, make them the game I mean, itself if, becomes obscured what, by all of this stuff what if we spent that time and energy and money Derek uh, on marketing the game to people as opposed to marketing products to the shrinking pool of golfers well that's the that's the golden yeah. goose Right there, um, the USGA and my—I mean, I think like the US. You know, so let's touch on on what the, the piece that you wrote um, about what's the golf's fifty-year plan, what's golf's one hundred-year plan. Um, you know, and you you suggest that the USGA and the RNA should should take the, a leadership role and and create some kind of long-term vision for for golf and its sustainability going forward. And one thing the U, the USGA could do, for instance. 
is to take their their war chest, the money, and invest it in in youth programs. And it's not not programs, but a, a marketing campaign. Actually, finance youth play by uh, pick. Pick a handful of, of public courses in, in in urban areas around the country, and buy uh, five club starter sets. Buy a hundred of them for a club, and, and any kid under the age of ten years old who wants to come out and try golf, you hand him one of these bags with these clubs and a few balls in it, and say, "Go have fun. Go go try it out." Things like that to to promote the actual playing of the game, to to, to foster enjoyment of golf. Instead of coming up with with programs and and doing sponsorship deals and and just putting your name on things, they could actually have a proactive, financially backed uh, stake in in growing the game beyond just verbiage. So um, here's an idea: How about doing that as well for 40, 45 year olds? Oh, absolutely! Imagine oh, that, imagine that a forty or forty five year old just being handed a simple set of starter. Bring clubs a mate to golf day and being told. Yeah, and being told, okay, yeah. you go out and play with that. That yeah. is a far better introduction to the game than what they get normally where they think they've got to go into the, the local golf retailer and buy $3,000 worth of clubs. Or grab a higher set yeah. that is. I mean, and shopping. also just to touch you, those 45 year olds, you're going to get a lot of, yeah. lot of them yeah. stick with the Sorry, game. Derek. But Sorry, Derek. Go, Derek. Yeah, no, there, no uh, to piggyback on that, there's a, you're, you're hitting on something very crucial. There's an intimidation factor, uh, you know, because everybody you know, is presenting product after product after product. When you walk into the pro shop, if you're a beginning golfer, that's, that's, mm-hmm. it can be a very intimidating, intimidating. environment. It, it, could be, it could be a neat environment. You, know, you could look around and say, wow, look at all this, this awesome stuff. I'm like really intrigued. I love shopping. But for a lot of people who go in with, and they have you know, hand-me-down clubs and their, their equipment's outdated and they're not quite wearing the right clothes that everybody else that they see around them on the course is wearing, that can be a, a very off-putting environment yeah. and be a, an obstacle instead of an entree to golf. Uh, so it, 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 all, it all kind of ties together is, is how you present the game. And you know, the barrier to entry is psychological often as much as it is financial. Can I lay out <clears> – <throat> publicly for the first time, I've run this by a couple of people, my plan to solve the distance debate, which touches on a couple of things that you said there, Derek, and this is how it works to me. There's no way around it. If you're going to roll back equipment, you're going to need to pay off the manufacturers. That's the only sensible way to do it. Or you give a whole bunch of money to lawyers and you may or may not win. So simplistically, and I accept that it wouldn't be quite as straightforward as this, there'll always be stuff to be argued about. The USGA and the RNA take their war chest they give it to the five major manufacturers, and this is how it works. In return for that money, for the compensation of what you think you'll lose in a rollback, we'll, we'll compensate you for that. But in turn, you all have to agree to spend your marketing money or a portion of your marketing money, not on marketing your products, but on marketing the game to the general product. The problem for the USGA and the RNA is their marketing departments are not as effective or as good as Titleist, Callaway, TaylorMade, Strixon, Bridgestone, Ping, pick your manufacturer. If those companies turned their marketing efforts towards adding more golfers to the golf pool instead of just fighting over the pool of golfers that exists, that rising tide will eventually lift, lift all boats. So it's a simple plan, but has it got any merit? We might do a whole episode on that at one, at some point. But I think that that is a plan that can satisfy everybody. You know, the, the, That's the issue good. with yeah. the legal action is what always holds this back. If you take care of that, you take that off the table at a cost, and a lot of people will be offended by that notion. 
but pragmatically... Especially since it's not based on a real... It's, it's a flawed agreed, assumption that agreed, they're going to lose money. Agreed. So, but, but politics agreed, is about yeah. compromise, well, I mean, and that, they, that might be a way the, forward, the, I think. To, I mean, uh, to, to pick on manufacturing companies, just to single, single them out, like that you're, that's a really interesting idea, Rod, because everything they do right now is to upsell upsell the who, all the people who play golf to to tell them that essentially think about what what equipment companies do they obsolete themselves every 18 months when they introduce a new driver or a new set of irons and they're telling the people who even the people who have bought their equipment they're they're saying what you have is not as good as what you could have uh, our stuff's better now so so why don't you why don't you re up it so and everything that they they do is to suck money out of out of the players that they have but they don't spend any money on themselves on expanding the no, pool of golfers exactly all they're trying to do yeah. is is make money off the people that already play if they're so interested in growing the game and getting more customers they should do more to actually promote the game of golf and and I, that's a really good point rod is, that you brought up is that they don't they, all they do is is do marketing promotion for their own product and not for the, and the good of the game good. they don't market They've conned the game. every one of us that, that the latest driver is worth having because their marketing is well, no, not know, everybody you know what I'm but, saying, but their marketing is that good yeah if they could use their power for good uh that's but that loosely i think to me, feels like a way forward, and you would start by bifurcating the game. You'd change the rules at the top of the game. There'd be some money to be saved by the manufacturers if that happened. There'd be much less endorsement money required, and that's a bloated pool of of business right there. So there's some advantages there. But the the long term notion would be to roll back the game for everybody. And to me, that's something you could argue about either way. But I, I, you start with let's fix professional golf, and then we'll allow that to flow through in the longer term. And one of the key things to that, I, I, I love your idea, Rod. Um, one of the key things to it, and I think it ties in well with Derek's themes, is that it is ultimately in the interests of those manufacturers and the other businesses in golf to take that approach. It's just hard. It's harder for them to go that way, and it takes a little bit more We're imagination. In the stock market. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, what, that's right. But the payoff is sustainability, yeah. Yeah. and I think that's what what Derek is really driving at there is that these golf businesses, if they want to be around, if they want to be certain that they're going to be around in 10 years or 20 years' time, look at these sustainable mm. strategies to make money, which means bringing a few more of those core people into the game, increasing that core of the game and and treating them right um, and making it so that they can stay in the game. And that, that might mean, you know, coming up with strategies that, simplify things and work out how to reduce fees for, for membership at golf clubs. Why can't I subscribe to Titleist? Why can't I be a Titleist subscriber or a Callaway subscriber? Yeah. Guaranteed money for them every month or something every like year that. in return it's for something, something. sustainable. As opposed exactly. to it's sustainable. try and sell me another driver, try and sell me another driver. I've used a TaylorMade this year, I'm going to use a Callaway next year, I'm going to use a Titleist the year after. There's a lot of... There, was, there has been a lot of easy money to make and that easy money is going away. So, uh, we'll... The strategies for solving it are often the yeah. same thought processes that chase because, that easy. And money. the other thing so, that would happen, which would, be, which would be of huge benefit to everybody, including the manufacturers, is it takes that conversation away in golf from being only about distance, which is kind of hard to keep selling. People are sort of surely at some point, think, you know, can it really go that much further? It isn't sustainable either. That, that's another one. It's not sustainable. Same. 
if, if that is your marketing push, then it's not going to be a marketing push in so 20 years. I, d- I didn't mean to throw that one in there. There's a bunch of other topics. To reach the but, but I've been thinking about that for a while, and it feels like one of those loose ideas that every point you touch, there's it's got an answer. And so that means, it, uh, to me, that's a, it's a sensible way to perhaps start forward. Nine whole courses, Derek. What happened? I initially thought when you put this in the Google Doc that you'd written this story, snubbing nine whole courses and got some blowback. But for a change, it's not you at the centre of the storm. What happened with the, the nine hole? Well, this this uh, just made me think about what what is the uh, obligation that a writer has to his audience or her audience. And what happened was uh, somebody uh, took a, a picture of, of a clip from Lynx magazine, a story that George mm-hmm. Pieper wrote about uh, traveling. It's a travel piece about Iceland. And he talks about uh, how Iceland has X number of, of golf courses, um, 65, and I think he said, 50 of them are nine holers. And I'm just going to read the quote. And people got pretty upset and, and thought that he was he was kind of uh, summarily dismissing the merits or the concept of nine hole courses. He said, mind you, 50 of this is quote, mind you, 50 of those are nine holers. But among the other 15 are some very good and incredibly beautiful places to put a tee in the ground. So uh, so somebody tweeted that out and, and said, basically, you know, he's slagging on nine hole courses. And it, it just started around uh, a round of conversations. And some people, it turns out some people are, are uh, very pro nine hole courses. That's kind of like their thing. Uh, Anthony Piapi, who's well known, he's a historian, wrote a book about nine hole courses, uh, The Finest Nines, which is a great book. And, and everybody should should try to track that down from your local bookseller. It's a really well written and, and, and fun book about great nine hole courses. Um, he jumped in to, to defend nine hole courses, and other people did too. And um, n- not to mention, I think uh, George Peeper, who was um, really a legendary writer and editor in the golf business. I've always been. So I was about Pepper. to say exactly the same but, but thing. Go on, George Peeper. <laughs> I don't. I, okay, I, I've never. Peeper sounds I don't know. a little bit. I hope uh, I'm saying creepy. that right. Uh, Pe- Peeper. <laughs> um, sorry, George, but uh, he, wrote a, he wrote a book on Lynx golf. Um, you know, he he lives in St. Andrews yeah, or has in the past. You, um, he's a huge. He's a great great person a great writer um and people are jumping on him because maybe he doesn't like i hope courses as much as some other people do and and whether that's even accurate or not i was wondering like if, if you're writing a story i mean are are you responsible for being uh, um to cater to the sensitivities of every reader are you obligated to you know couch your story and your language so that so that you're uh you're, you're pleasing everybody that you know you're you're putting a coin in every, in every hand isn't, that's out there it just struck yeah. me as it, it's not hit that it wouldn't be any writer's responsibility to to fulfill the expectations of of every reader by indulging in their own personal uh personal um you know, you know the, their passions the things that they're really into um and I, the whole thing got a little bizarre for me um, so what do you guys – what do you think? I mean what's a writer's obligation? Uh, is, it, is it just to, to write – and by the way, this is a travel piece. It's not yeah. like a deep think piece. It's I about think, a beautiful I think that's really key to it as well. So what I would yeah. say is this. What you're essentially talking about is the difference between journalism and blogging. If you're a journal or a reporter, you have to, you have to dish up everything. But if you're writing an opinion piece, the clue's kind of in the title. And a travel piece is essentially an opinion piece. It has no – News value beyond the interest that some people may take in reading, and so that's a so no in that in that instance, definitely not. And it, well, I don't think he was even giving an opinion. No, I, I, I think he's been taken a bit out of context. Well, certainly people have reacted to based on that quote, and but and in fact, I think he was he he was writing that sentence out of an obligation 
to appeal to people who think uh-huh. that eighteen hole golf. I feel compelled is, to mention like, that fifty of these are only nine that's holes. Right. So don't take a exactly. holiday here and blame me when you get here and they're all nine holes. That's. I feel like yeah, that was possibly. his motivation yeah. for that sentence. It was. It was actually an obligation to like. Oh, you know, don't don't worry if you're not into nine holes. There's, there's fifteen, there's, eighteen uh, hole courses as well. <laughs> proper air golf quotes, as well, Proper yeah. golf. Golf. Yeah. Well, all so. that aside. Uh, did you read the rest of the piece? I'm fascinated by golf in Iceland because ever since I interviewed Edwin Roald, who's big on Y18 holes and has a website, another shout-out for Edwin, who's a fantastic guy. He's a golf course architect from Iceland, and all the pictures I see, it looks just staggeringly beautiful and adventurous up there. Golf looks really sporty. Um, it's a Danish territory too. That's kind of the, uh, the real – sorry, Adrian. That, that's one of the ironies is that one of the the golf courses that he features – and, you know, he so there's – these golf courses in Iceland, and he writes about six of them, I think, and they're all amazing. They look on, but one of them is is not a nine hole course, but a, a twelve hole course. It's Rolls twelve hole yep. course. So that, that's not good enough. You know, he wrote about an, an unconventional twelve hole course, included that in the story, but because he didn't get around to to hitting up any nine hole courses, he hates the whole mm. concept of a nine hole course. It, it didn't make a lot that's of a, sense to me. That's a that's a standard digital age overreaction, isn't it? The knee jerk Twitter reaction that seems to be a. No, not that I'm saying that about yeah. anybody specific. You can probably read that into it should you want to, but there's perhaps an over-reaction uh, in there. There was something – ah, right, this is the one I really wanted to talk about, and I know at the time we're starting to get on a bit because we talked about a bunch of stuff that I didn't mean to. So Sandy Jamison runs the Oakley Golf Course, public golf course down in Melbourne. I had a meeting with him when I was down in Melbourne recently for the GMA conference. Terrific bloke, very enthusiastic. Got some left field and interesting ideas. He's a golf pro by trade, PGA member. Good guy, uh, good player in his day. So he's taken over there and he just sent out a tweet of what I thought was a fairly innocent and simple tweet. I waded into a lengthy debate with a couple of people over. He's gotten rid of the red tees at his course there, Derek. So red, um, I assume it's the same in the US. Red has generally been taken to mean ladies' tees in golf. So mm-hmm. he's got rid of the red tees, so he's now got yellow, white, and blue, and they're just short, medium, and long. Now, the whole discussion about ladies' tees took a couple of turns, which I just couldn't understand. Is there a place in the game, Derek, first up, is there a place in the game or is there a problem with calling the forward tees ladies' tees? I think there is, and I've put that case a couple of times, but I've got some incredible pushback from a couple of people about that who seem to think it's completely unimportant. Interestingly, men, um, I don't know whether that's... Something to do. What's your take on just that as a notion? Yeah, I think if I mean, I think if you if you talk to most independent golf course operators, they would say that was one of the the worst mistakes that had ever been made initially. Is is labeling them, you know, men's tees, ladies tees, championship tees. But you know, back in the day, most courses had maybe three sets at the most, but the forward tees were always the ladies tees, and it just carries with it a stigma. And it's it's not to me, it's not. Uh, um, it's not a PC, a politically correct issue. It's just that it, it, it does pre- – I think it does prevent people, uh, men or women, from, from going to a set of tees that's perceived up for the ladies. When 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 it's good for everybody maybe to move up a set, uh, all of us could probably benefit from doing that. But if it's called ladies' tees, that, that's definitely a barrier. So I'm, I'm with you on, on that, that I, I think that if you can recolor code them, rename them, you know, you see golf courses that have, you know, every set of tee has a name like Bobcat tees, the Lion tees, the Tiger tees or whatever. Um, 
you're already moving up. So you're feeling like some, you know, as, especially as you get older, you're already kind of like feeling, you know, you're losing something by moving up, but you don't have to, you know, you could, there are, there are uh, ways to soften that a little bit by coming up with different naming or color concepts. Before we move to what Denmark do, Adrian, one of my biggest problems with, <laughs> which is, which is fantastic. And I know you've talked about it before. One of the problems I have with it is this, and I raised this in, in this Twitter thread with a particular guy I was, I was chatting with. We talk about introducing 100 people to the game and 10 of them will stick with it. If one of those potential golfers is a girl, and the first thing you tell her is, these are your tees and these are the only tees you can play off, you've restricted the game for that, that person, and who knows how many you lose by doing that, and it's just dumb. This is a dumb thing to do. What if that young girl perseveres with golf, as thankfully some do, becomes really, really, really good at the game, but has always supposedly got to play off the ladies' tees or the forward tees when they're better than half of the donkeys that are playing off the back tees? Yeah, and, well, a couple of things on that. That's changing in Australia in a big way. Anybody who thinks they can stick with the Mm -hmm. old way of thinking about this is, you think is going to be... Well, there's nothing here saying, you know, you're not allowed to do this. No, I get tired of this notion that if somebody challenges you, you're being told that you're not allowed to say... You can say anything you want, but you will be challenged sometimes. So accept that. Anybody who yeah, wants to retain this concept of a ladies' tea will be challenged um, by uh, some initiatives that are being done in Australian golf. All teas will get rated in Australia which is a fantastic idea for men as well to be able to play off any tees and and participate in a competition even if it's an all men like even if it's you know some men playing off the white tees and some blokes playing off the blue tees still being so, able so to have I a mixed that, tee I didn't competition realize that Australia didn't rate every set of tees independently we don't not for both genders sorry we do we rate every set not of tees for both so not the, for the both genders. Tea, the championship mm. to the medal tee would yeah. only be rated for men. It's only rated for, not for women. Yeah. They, they just don't yeah. go back there and play. That's been the thinking. So. Yeah, but that's that's been changed. So the course raters are all out there at the moment mm. trying to, to get all of those back tees rated for women and the front tees rated for men. Uh, and then there'll be a big push to make all competitions in Australia mixed gender competitions, mixed gender or multi tee competitions. So you yeah. could have you know the old blokes playing off the front the tees and whoever wants to, yeah. Um, so every competition in Australia, there'll be this big push to make them mixed tea and multi. In fact, here's another idea. Here's another idea. I'll spout out on about one day. I should write these down. These are all column ideas. I always struggle every week. What am I going to write about? And I have all these ideas and forget them. There should be at least once a year. What we have down here, Derek, once a month we play stroke at most clubs in Australia. It's called the monthly medal. So one weekend of the month you'll play. A stroke round. We play mostly Stableford down here. We don't we don't count up our shots and take seven or eight shots and play stroke as you do predominantly in the states, as I understand it. So, once mm-hmm. a month you play the monthly medal, and the monthly medal is always set up off the longest tees with the hardest pins and the course set up as tough as it can possibly be because it's a real test of golf, quote unquote. That's what it is. It's a real test of golf. Well, my suggestion would be this: that every year, every club, one of their monthly medals should be the complete opposite played off the shortest tees with the easiest flags. It'd be an interesting experiment to see what, A, it did to the scoring, which would probably be probably not, not much, is the truth of it. Yeah. We're all bad <laughs> yeah. no matter which tees we play off into which flags. But, B, how much fun? I would love fun. to sit in the clubhouse afterwards and listen to all those who bitched and moaned before they went out about, you know, what a stupid idea it was, come in and say, oh, I birdied this hole and I hit this iron into that hole and it was a lot more 
fun. You played from different parts of the course that, that I thought. Used to play and from. That that whole notion, that right there, that monthly medal, back tees, toughest flags, like it has to be that every single month. That there is just taking a game that doesn't deserve to be put in a cage and caging it. It's just restricting the game unnecessarily. So. I've not yet even been able to get that through at my club, so I don't imagine there'll be too many others keen to take it on. But just once a year, one monthly medal a year, play off the easiest tees to the easiest flags. And stop calling them ladies' tees. The, the, the key's going to be, though, get everybody gets to play off the tees yeah, that they want ultimately, to play off. Of course. And the handicap system will facilitate this. Anybody who's worried about that, don't worry about that. You so, don't get to play yeah, off different tees on different be holes. The case. If you tee no. off the whites on the first, you've got to stick with the whites. No, you've got to play a rated course. What yeah. do they do in Denmark? How do they deal with the tea issue? Uh, I found this across a few countries in Scandinavia is that they just name the teas after the length mm. of the course. Uh, and, of course, you can move the teas back and forward, but the way, you, the way you manage a course and have it be true to its rating is if you're going to move some teas forward, you move other teas back so you can control wear on the tea. But, and so the overall length of the course remains the same, which allows them to have... Tees, which they just name the 6200 tees, the 5900 tees. This yeah. is in yards, uh, or is it that anyway? And the, the you know, the 5500 tees, and and so forth. And so, you just pick what length of tees you want to play off, and that's the length of course that you'll you encounter that day. This, that's what they do at Barn Burgle. Yeah, you haven't been is there, that right? You? No, that's right. Yeah, down at Barn Burgle, I've done what you're talking about. That's not quite how they do it at Barn Burgle. I just wanted to mention Barn Burgle because you haven't been there. Thank you. It's all. It's just such an interesting uh, topic because I, I've never encountered people at their home course. Let's say that you, you take a, a group of people that play the same course every day, whether it's a club or you know your your public. Uh, you're, you're around with your buddies at the public course. I, I've never seen people who who are would move up to like a forward set of tees for a day and say, "Why don't we try mm. this today? Let's go up to these to the fifty three hundred yard marker and play from these tees and see what happens people just go to the and play the yep. same set of tees like every yep. single day and when you're talking about that right it just made me realize that there's it, especially if you play a lot of golf why wouldn't you do that occasionally and mix it up and just as adrian said like see different parts of the golf course experience different shots just experience a new uh, a new way to see your golf course well, occasionally but i've never i've never seen that that done or experimented with it's just kind of when you think about it, it's it's a little shocking that people would be interested in, in going out and having almost the same golf experience like every but single just, day. Now I can understand if you only play golf once a month that you know you want to go out and try to try to do your best and you're going to play the, the pro, quote unquote appropriate tees for you and you want to see what you can shoot. But regular play, it, it seems like it's such an such an interesting and, and fun way to to mix it up and experience golf and experience a golf course Which in a new way. Derek is the reason people aren't interested in doing it. I don't know whether you've ever noticed this, but for the most part, most of the people who play golf, and I did this experiment a couple of years ago, I tried to play with a different group every week at my club and ask people, why do you play? Are you interested in golf? Have you ever read a book about golf? And the answer to most of those questions is no. Not interested in the game. And they, I think that's true for most people. They play golf because, and a lot of them struggle to sort of, oh, I suppose, well, it gets me out of the house and, you know, I come and see my mates and that sort of thing. They don't think, most people who play golf don't think about golf the way we do. And I think that's sad in a lot of ways because they miss out on a lot of stuff. But, I, you know, you don't want to be evangelical about it. I don't have kids and I get tired of people telling me I don't know what I'm missing out on. So I'm well aware of the dangers of that argument. But the reason that they're not interested is because, that's not why they, they play golf, because they play golf this way with this group at this time on this day every week. And that's why they do it, and that's what they want to do. And they're not interested in trying something else, which is 
I think, kind of sad, but you can't make people do something they don't want to do. Having said that, if you instituted that at a club and said, one monthly medal a year, we're playing off the forward tees, easiest flags, all that sort of stuff, they would all do it. They'd grumble, they'd do it. And I think most would generally, at the end of it, accept that it was actually pretty interesting and fun. Hmm. Well, sometimes you know, we've established. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Adrian. Oh, just it, it happened at my club where some tees were out of play because they were getting reconstructed, and uh, everybody was thrilled with where they were hitting the drives because like it was it, sanctioned. Complete cognitive dissonance. Because it was sanctioned but, by the the necessity of having uh, to be there. Well, if you'd ask them to move know, up to that tee that they enjoyed, because would they have enjoyed it? The, there was this hole. There's this hole that, which is a par five, but everybody was, you know, a chance of getting there in two all of a sudden. And uh, there's also this little hill that you can get a little bit of extra runoff. And people really enjoyed the challenge of hitting from this forward tee where that hill came into play. And so suddenly they they had this opportunity with a really big drive to get down into this flat area and have this great shot into this par five. And that, it was a completely new experience for everybody, but only lasted like about a month while this tea was getting constructed. I was say, what happened back to the, you, the did tea? Anybody say, "Hey, why don't we play up no, there?" Again? Nobody has ever gone back, ventured back down fun. to that. That tea. was fun. What a shame we can never do it again because yeah. the other tea's now exactly. back in play. Exactly. <laughs> well, what's preventing? What's, <laughs> the look you know, on your face now. <laughs> the whole industry is always talking. You know, the, the USGA has the tea at forward program. Like, and and right now it's it's all based on trying to convince players to play a shorter golf course, voluntarily move up. What's preventing clubs Forcing. from two yeah. days a week just That's setting right. the the re- whatever the blue marker or whatever it is that that most men play from? What's preventing them from moving them up two sets? So instead of like your normal sixty four hundred yard course is now playing fifty four hundred course. I, it's curious is you know clubs have a say in this. Courses can can affect this too. And if you just you just make an announcement, say two days a week, we're going to mix it up and you and uh, give you show you guys a little bit of a different golf course. Here's a bit of. I've never heard yeah. of that being done, but it's completely within the club's control sure. to do that. Here's an interesting idea. We might set aside a day a month, Adrian, where we go to a different public course in Sydney and play from, because it's a selling point, play yeah, from the public tees. One of the Great things idea. about being a public player and being looked down upon at a semi-private course as a public player is you're only allowed to play usually the yellow tees, are, yellow or gold here in Sydney, and they're always yep. well forward of the other tees. And the, 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 the notion being, well, you know, you haven't paid a membership fee, so you don't get to experience the whole golf course. But <laughs> exactly. in fact, we should go and do that, Adrian. Just play a bunch of public golf off the forward tees. Yep. Any listeners, Any listeners want to join us? Join Absolutely. Us. Be yeah, most welcome. Welcome. Most welcome. Yeah, most welcome. Yeah. Palm Beach, Palm Beach is, is a place I want to visit. I haven't uh, had a look at that. Good, good but, golf yeah. podcast day at Palm Beach would be fantastic. Um, yes, there's some interesting stuff. And there's a lot of psychology wrapped up in that, and that's all to do with why people play the game, which is a whole area that we're all in agreement here, but that affinity bias, that living in the bubble, it's comfortable, but it doesn't really face the reality as well. And again, it comes back to businesses are driven by demand, not supply. You manipulate markets through demand. If you change demand, you change supply. It's very, very hard to do it the other way around, which is probably partly the answer to your question, Derek, about why clubs don't sort of force things uh, on people. Yeah, interesting stuff. I don't think we're going to have time to get to some of this other stuff. We certainly haven't got time for the group thinking golf course architecture discussion because that could probably be a whole episode in itself. I think we've touched on elements of it with the things that we've uh, we've discussed, but... That aside, I think we got through most of it. Did I miss anything? Just keep, keep some powder dry, I think. Good right? idea. That's good idea. Those are topics <laughs> for, for future, future episodes. Uh, did I miss anything from your point of view, Adrian? No. Where can people find stuff. you on Twitter? Where can people find you on Twitter? At Adrian Logue. 
Is there an underscore? Very simple. No, I've got the underscore. <laughs> no underscore. <laughs> like, sorry, mate. Yeah, I got in before the yeah. other Adrian Logue on every social <laughs> well network. Well done to you. What did you yeah. used to be? What was your... Uh, at my Clover Ford. I've Clover still got that. My yeah. That's my business. Indeed. Interesting yeah. stuff. Yeah. Thank you for your time today, mate. Been great to chat to you here Thank in you. person. Derek, where can people find you on Twitter, LinkedIn, Pinterest? What else? What are the other social? Facebook, Instagram? Yeah. Yeah, don't don't look for me too hard on those other ones. I'm a Twitter and Instagram at Feed the Ball. You're going to be posting any nice IPAs or like a you you occasionally post some whiskies and bourbons. Is that a former job of Instagram? Yours? I've you noticed. Write for a, a booze magazine? Is that was that you? Yeah, I, I've 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 uh, I've done some some non golf work uh, in the beverage adult beverage <laughs> industry. <laughs> I'm an expert at it. So. Hey, you, do, you have some qualifications, don't you, in that area and. Yeah, that's yeah, what I thought. Yeah, you have to walk the walk yeah, and yeah, drink the drink. Well done. So uh, at Feed the Ball, is that right? At Feed the Ball. And yeah, log on yeah. to uh, Derek's podcast. But go through the Talk and Golf Network page. That's better for my traffic. Don't go straight to Feed mm-hmm. the Ball. Come to talkandgolf.com and, uh, Indeed. and look, Derek, they're fantastic to talk to you today, mate. Great to have you back, and thank you for taking some time to chat today. Thank you. And my, my new mantra oh. after today is, what would Denmark do? Oh, nice. We might get some, think about that when all life situations. we get situations. some branded wristbands made up. Do you think, Adrian, sell them in the pro shops and merch? Do you think the country of Denmark would what like would to sponsor Denmark? us? The whole nation. Now, oh, there's there some field thinking. Visit, visit Denmark if you're listening <clears> to this. Right. What's the thing between yeah. Denmark and Iceland? You mentioned something about it? Uh, Iceland is a like, it's, uh, like a protectorate of Denmark's. So is Greenland. They're both What's like a protectorate? Denmark, I don't know, protects them. It protectorates them. <laughs> <laughs> protects them from, from my country's attempt to they're, purchase them. They, they were, like, <laughs> you were going to buy Greenland, weren't you? Wasn't it? The Denmark, yeah, exactly. Greenland? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's right, yeah. <laughs> Den- Denmark, I think, gives them a lot of money, um, but then also allows them their independence to sort of operate yeah. as their own country. Nordic sometimes. It's a really cool part of the world up there, Denmark and Iceland and Sweden and Greenland and all that. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at at Rod underscore Mori. You won't find, well, you will find me on Facebook, but don't send me a message because I won't respond. I do have a page, but I almost never look at, look at it. Twitter's my go. Uh, and you can email the show, just email me, rod at talkandgolf.com if you've got any feedback. Uh, thanks for tuning in. We hope you've enjoyed listening as much as we've enjoyed talking. We'll be back to do it all again, hopefully, with Phil Blackmar next week on episode seven of the Good Good Golf Podcast.